Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Joining me now are two of my really good friends. I am so excited that they are my first guests on the Just the Truth podcast because they are the co-hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. So we, we got all the just, just the news, you know, just thinking, just the truth. But Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, who are the co-hosts of the leading Christian podcast called Just Thinking. Daryl and Virgil, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much for having us. It's an honor to be with you. Jenna Ellis, I cannot believe this is such an honor. Well, the honor is all mine because I have been following both of you. Um, Daryl Harrison, you and I um, have talked so much over this past year about everything in the culture. Um, All of us together, of course, have Liberty University and the Freedom Center in common where we are all fellows. And so um, it's on all of our hearts to make sure that we talk about the truth of how Christians need to be looking at the issues in our culture. And it's not just Christians, though. The biblical worldview, of course, is the truthful way to understand the reality to which God presents us and uh, and understanding the truth and putting that forward is something that is really, really lacking in our culture today because, you know, we talk about cancel culture. We talk about, um, you know, all of the intimidation tactics from the left. We talk about so much that uh, in this postmodern culture, this post-truth culture, nobody talks about truth anymore. And that's something that we're going to do on this podcast. And every day we're going to be talking about the truth. This isn't about a political perspective. It's not about one party over another. Um, This is just about talking about truth. And today with uh, my two great friends, uh, Virgil and Daryl, we're going to be talking about the truth of critical race theory. And you guys, I know, had a super epic podcast on this for three and a half hours. Definitely, everyone, this is just going to be a taste of what you can get on the three and a half hour podcast on their Just Thinking podcast. Definitely follow them. Um, but I want to ask you first, um, let's go to Virgil first. There's this idea, I think, on purpose um, that from the leftist culture to kind of muddy the waters, muddy the definition even of critical race theory, because they don't want to know. It's, it's the same thing as like BLM Inc. Like we want to label it Black Lives Matter, but really the subversive purpose is something totally separate. So for people who've heard the term CRT, critical race theory, but really aren't um, sure what that that encompasses what is the truthful definition and why does it matter yeah it, de- one definitions matter first again thanks for having us honored to be here be with you and uh, and to connect with my brother daryl anytime we could talk about this we spent three three and a half hours walking through things and we really unpacked from a definitional standpoint the idea about critical and the fact that everything regarding critical race theory uh, is 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 opposite what the words actually mean, 
right? What we mean by that is when, we, when we're talking about being critical or, or critically analyzing or providing any critical thought to a particular set of uh, philosophies or theories, what you cannot do is to begin to critique critical race theory. The moment that you do, the moment that you attempt to do that, it's like jello on a wall. This is a theory that has been crafted uh, in academia. Uh, and it's been crafted in that way on purpose. Uh, they, they use language in an effort to deconstruct culture. And so whenever you try to put a terminology or words around it, 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 it tries to it, it, it subverts whatever you're whatever you're whatever you're aiming at for the purpose of, of being kind of uh, unclear or, 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 or not not not, you know, not crystal clear. So let me let me say it in this way. Critical race theory comes out of the out of critical theory and the whole point and purpose of it, the, the, the folks who founded it began to look at law, began to look at the law and tried to figure out how they could apply uh, issues of race, uh, ethnicity to the law in, in a way that would advantage a particular group of people. So, so in other words, for example, if you, if you had a, a, a law outcome that was a, to the disadvantage of a particular ethnic minority, what you wanted to do was to see how you could apply law, legal, legal apparatuses in an effort to, to, to turn over or to overturn uh, a particular outcome. So that was, the, that was kind of the goal of, critical, of, of the proponents of critical race theory. What they did in law, they began to take and then apply to culture, apply to society. Hmm. How can we deconstruct what was there? Uh, how can we deconstruct the ideas, the philosophies, the theology, if you will, of a culture in an effort to, to make it, uh, to turn it into an advantage for a particular ethnic group, critical race theory. Again, it, it's it, mm. it's difficult when when you begin to when you begin to try to examine what they mean by what they say. It is absolutely a difficult process, and which is why it took us three and a half hours to unpack <laughs> what was actually there. Yeah, which which you know that that is so important what you're saying because we've seen this in so many other. Uh, modes and and other propositions that the far leftist uh, progressive collectivists are trying to foist onto culture. I mean, I think of the examples of the Equality Act, right? Like they label it the Equality Act, but it's absolutely trying to make some people uh, more advantaged. This isn't about equality. And when you talk about deconstructing uh, the worldview behind this, what they've done so successfully with the redefinition of terms is that they're saying, you know, men aren't really biological men anymore. That definition of that term man and woman no longer has an implicit um, ob objective meaning. It's now up to just my truth versus your truth and whatever I want this word to mean. So equality now just means whatever I want it to mean. And if I don't get the outcome I personally prefer, then suddenly I'm a victim, right? And that's the entire culture and that's where we're heading. And and uh, um, Daryl, before I ask you the next question, I just want to point out why this is so important when, we, when we're talking about law. And when you talk about critical race theory and this whole idea of deconstructionism and that words don't have any inherent meaning. The reason this becomes so important when you analyze it through the lens of law and when you talk about Congress codifying this sort of uh, idea 
and why it's so important that our politics and our policy don't reflect this postmodern view is say, for example, that you have, and I've used this example all the time, um, if I'm prosecuting a DUI case, right? And say that the, and, and I say, okay, so the test came back that you are under the influence of alcohol and you had, you know, all of these different indicia of alcohol and you have a test that says you're above the legal limit. And the defendant gets on the stand and says, well, I didn't feel like I was intoxicated. And, you know, my reality is that, you know, I was fine. And the meaning of intoxication then no longer has an objective legal definition. We can't then ever have any sort of convictions in court. And that term conviction, of course, applies in a lot of different ways and contexts that we can't ever have proof anymore of anything. And proof becomes subjective to our feelings and our own interpretations. So this is really important. I'm glad you brought up law specifically. Um, So how then, Daryl, with this meaning of of critical race theory, um, unpack this a little bit more of the examples that we're seeing and why you think the left is really grabbing on to this as their particular vehicle to foist onto culture at this moment. Yeah, Jenna, that's a great question. Uh, First of all, let me echo uh, Virgil's uh, sentiments. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this issue with you. You know, when you look at uh, what the left is really after, you know, in your opening remarks, you mentioned the the word worldview. And what we have to understand as Christians is that we're living in a milieu that basically consists of competing worldviews. Um, and I think to answer your question is why is the left latching on to critical race theory? I think they're latching on to it uh, for one reason is that they know that there's a lot of ignorance out there about it. There's a lot. So they're taking advantage of the dearth of, uh, shall we say, uh, 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 knowledge and aptitude about what critical race theory is. So they, they, they want to keep that sort of ambiguity uh, out there. So because that helps them to be even more aggressive in uh, bringing to fruition this this worldview, this Marxist worldview uh, that they envision. Uh, But the left has always been about creating a new world there. They've always been about creating a new uh, uh, society, a new culture that mirrors their uh, socio Marxist visage of of what not just what america should look like but the entire world i mean we're talking about critical theory as virgil alluded to earlier the idea of critical theory goes back almost 100 years it goes to the early 1930s so we're approaching a whole century whereby uh, of time however that's gone by since that idea originated with uh, max horkheimer in the frankfurt school uh and again to point out again not to push the podcast so much, but the fact that we took three and a half hours to unpack what critical race theory is should tell anyone that critical race theory, number one, is not just about race. This is an entire worldview. So when you're looking at uh, the the tentacles, if you will, that comprise critical theory, you're looking at critical race theory, uh, 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 queer theory, gender theory, you're looking at economic theory, you're looking at all sorts of different iterations of what critical race theory looks like. And I think the left is leveraging critical race theory, especially because there is a naivete about what that is, that especially uh, uh, professing Christians are nervous 
about pushing back on because they're uh, 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 they're concerned about what the what the results may be, namely rejection by the world. You're going to be called a racist. You're going to be called a supremacist. So the left is taking advantage of, of, of the fact that we are not as educated as we should be about what critical critical theory and critical race theory are. And isn't that so interesting that they think that they can use these terms and these words to them have meaning like racist, um, I'm thinking insurrectionist, treasonous, um, you know, alt sexist, alt misogynist, all of these things that they're trying to label us. And they know that words to us have meaning and have truthful meaning and value implicit in them. And so they're willing to say that while they are themselves deconstructionists and saying, well, words have no inherent meaning. It's just whatever you happen to prefer. I mean, I find that really ironic that we are playing their game and allowing them to tell us what uh, what we believe. I mean, and I and I see that all of the time on my Twitter feed, right? Where people uh, people love to call me a fake Christian. They love to tell me what I should think that the God that they don't even believe in requires of me, which I find really morally hilarious, right? So um, so when we're talking yeah. though, um, and, and feel free both of you, you know to just jump in, um, however you want to go back forth, and I'm just happy to listen. Um, but. When we're talking about, I, I found it really interesting that you said that critical race theory is just one of these modes of critical theory, because I think a lot of people really don't mm-hmm. understand that this is just one facet of a much broader issue. Yeah, I, Jenna, let me jump in here and say this. Right, uh, right now, today, as it stands, race race is the, is the soup du jour, right? We, we've had these incidents that t- have taken place this past summer that have been highlighted, uh, that have been amplified across the country. And so now this is, this is, this is, the, this is the, the daily news, right? This is what we're seeing constantly. And so critical theorists, those who hold to this worldview that, that Daryl that spoke about, see this as the next opportunity. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, that words matter. For, for, the, for the Christian, words absolutely matter. Words like justice matter. Words like love matter. Words, words, you know, words like fairness. Words like equity, equality. Those words matter to us, and they have because of our worldview. They have a specific meaning attached to them. Well, what critical race theory, what critical theorists have come and done is they've come in, and they've redefined those words. Now, when you hear the words equality, it almost mentioned from a from a critical theorist. It almost always means equity. It almost always means equity of outcome. And so you're hearing the word equality thinking, oh, everybody should be for equality. But what's being taught is equity of outcome as the result. So that's kind of what you're hearing. Words absolutely matter. This is about, this, this is about a recreation of, a, of an entire new world. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. I mean, I mean, we 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 sound like we're 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 preaching doom and gloom. They're coming after us. They're coming after us. <laughs> when the when the reality is, they intend to create what they believe to be this brand new utopia, this brand new world in which uh, they 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 want to reconstruct what what God, what the Judeo Christian worldview has already established as right and true and pure and beautiful and lovely and just and fair 
and, 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 and equality. They want to redesign that. It's, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three with, with, with the serpent in the garden where he's, he's tempting Eve by saying, did God really say? I mean, that, that's exactly where we are. So none of what we're seeing in culture today is new. This goes all the way back for those of us who hold to, to a Christian value, to the Judeo-Christian worldview. We all understand this is, this is an old attempt at something that, that, that was, was, was taking place back in Genesis chapter 3, with the, with the serpent in the garden, and it's it's nothing. It's not new to any one of us, right? Well, and and you know that also. If you're listening to this, and you came to this because you expected me to just talk about politics and policy, uh, the reason that we're starting here is because that is so top level that we have to go back to the foundation, like Virgil was just talking about, and say we have to first have a truthful definition of truth, of justice, uh, the meaning of words. Because if that doesn't come from, if morality doesn't come from a source outside of man, and it's simply man's collective judgment to define or redefine justice and truth, however we prefer as a collective, then we will never actually get to the policy positions of genuine true equality. And so when we go back to the biblical worldview and why it's so important, and I know that these guys agree with me, that um, it's not just because we are all evangelical Christians that we believe this. It's when we're talking about worldview and we're talking about truth, we're saying this is by definition the empirical reality to which we as human beings are presented. And we have to recognize that empirical truth and match up our view of the world with that reality. We have to all start at that premise, but this deconstructionist view is basically saying we can all redefine reality however we prefer, and then we can force through our government systems we can force then the outcome. And so instead of saying, what is the truthful purpose of government, which our founders recognized was that all men and women are created equal, were endowed by our creator with certain rights, and then government is supposed to preserve and protect those rights. Then we get to the true definition of equality, which is simply human beings are made in the image of God. So as such, have inherent dignity and worth, period. That's the only way, only through that concept of made in the image of God or imago dei. That is the only definition that gets you to true equality. Because in otherwise, when we're looking at something like critical race theory or critical theory in general, then that is all about elevating any of the isms. So we have, you know, feminism, which is saying, you know, women and men are somehow, you know, more or less equal. And we have to then go, you know, and then racism, we get to all of these different ways of discriminate, of actual discrimination, if we don't start with a truthful definition. So for people listening who are really concerned about politics and policy, you have to first be concerned with truth. And that only comes from a truthful definition of reality, which all of us agree. And Daryl, I want your perspective on this of why the biblical worldview and the truth of scripture is the only view that is consistent with reality and actually makes sense when we're talking about the true meaning of words, equality, and how we then end up in policy. Yeah. You know, that's an excellent so, you, so what you're talking about as far as scripture being the only answer, the only objective reality as it, as it relates to what the scripture speaks to 
when we look at, again, I hate to keep reiterating this word. I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but the word that I keep coming back to is worldview. What, why is scripture the only reliable source when it comes to our worldview? But, well, because it starts at the beginning. I don't mean to be redundant, but when Virgil alludes to Genesis 3, he's absolutely right. Scripture encompasses the entire anthropological story of the human race from beginning to end. We look at in Genesis 1:27, where God created man in his own image, created the male, male and female, and it also says that he blessed them. He blessed them in Genesis 1:27. He's uh, the uh, Moses, the writer of Genesis reiterates that in Genesis 5 that God created man in his image. He created the male and female, and he blessed them. That's where we get our inherent value from. But what the left is trying to do as it relates to critical race theory. Instead of having us subscribe to a vertical uh, anthropology, whereas we are creating the image of God, what critical race theorists do is they deconstruct that vertical uh, construct and then make it a horizontal construct, whereby you are looking at yourself in comparison to one another. Mm-hmm. So that's what they. That's when they. That's when. That's 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 where they win when they can when they can invert. That biblical anthropology whereby we're all created in the image of God and are equal in, within that context, they'll make that a horizontal valuation and look at, well, uh, me as a black man up against Jenna as a white woman, or even in intra-ethnic uh, uh, situations where we're com- I'm comparing myself to Virgil, two black men comparing themselves against one another. So. What the church has to do, and I keep reiterating the church because on our podcast, that's our audience. I'm speaking to believers. We expect the world to act like the world. But for believers, we are called to think about the world differently. We are, we are, we are supposed to lay the scripture up against the world and then get our understanding and our uh, concept of the world from that. We do not lay the world up against scripture and then develop a hermeneutic out of that and an application out of that. So what we have to be and we say this often on our podcast, we have to be better theologians. We have to be better theologians and in doing so, students of the scripture, but also students of the culture so that we'll know what the culture is trying to throw at us. And as they do that, we filter that through the truth of what the scripture says, and we develop an apologetic and a hermeneutic by which we can go out into the world and answer and defend scripture against these attacks uh, such as critical theory and critical race theory. Yeah, and and Virgil, so speak also to um, the audience that maybe has this perspective. And I'm thinking of people, you know, my age in the millennial group, the Gen Zers and younger, uh, who are in this group where either they label themselves a Christian, but they buy into all of the other sort of hodgepodge of worldviews, and they have this sort of disconnected view of, well, I want to be loving. I want to, of course, Black Lives Matter, you know, some of these things that they're not getting the deeper implications of this, or where I think a lot of people who are listening right now to this podcast are coming saying, we're conservatives, you know, we're Trump supporters, we are Republicans, and they, they really don't have yet, and I hope we can have this conversation of how that view of advancing truth and culture has to be predicated on a Christian worldview. And they have this divide between, well, I'm a conservative just for economics and all of that, but I don't really have the buy-in to the biblical worldview. Address those people why that matters. Yeah, it, it absolutely matters for a number of 
different reasons. Let me just lay out a, a, a case. I think, you, I think you articulated incredibly well current culture, uh, especially to the, the, the age demographic that you mentioned. And because they're the ones that we're seeing now coming to the fore, are the most vocal, are the ones out you know, protesting, are the ones out uh, trying to push forward the the agenda of, of you know of, of AOC and others they're the one that that those are the folks that are out that are the most vocal and so the the issue with that and, and again even and and, and 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 even segmented to the point you just made Christians we're seeing we're witnessing Christians that are doing this and I think a, a lot of it has to do with just a lack of being of being rightly taught uh, we, we're mm-hmm. supposed to rightly divide the word of truth Daryl just recently uh, uh, penned a, a great blog article uh, entitled Theistic Amorism, Theistic Amorism. And it's the idea that we are all about God, God's love. Uh, we, we worship God's love without ever studying any mm-hmm. of the other attributes of God. And so when, when, we, when we love God's love and, and, we're, and we've, 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 we've created this new God in, in our own image and, and, and ignored all the other facets and a- aspects of who he actually is and what that should actually mean to each and every one of us. It's easy for us to be caught up in these, uh, in these pragmatic ideas of the culture. So when the culture comes along and says, here's what love looks like, well, you serve a God of love. And so if that's what love looks like, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And, and, and what we've gone away from is what scripture says. And scripture tells us Jesus himself is the personification of truth. John 14, six, I'm the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life, the, the, the Christian epistemological position is one of natural or general revelation. Uh, we know who God is by the, by the fact that we are image bearers of God and special revelation. We understand truth on the basis of what the word of God declares as truth. That's why we hold so tightly to the scriptures. What we see currently in, in culture is this, this idea that, that it's really postmodernism on steroids. It's really post postmodernism, even codified to a degree, where where truth is is this idea. It's it's standpoint epistemology. My own idea of truth is that which is true, and and it and it has to be true for everyone else. That's why they can appeal to things like intersectionality. Why? Because if I could find the the, the handful of folks in in my victimized class that understand my version of the truth. I can create a narrative and then ask for special, you know, special gifting, special, special uh, uh, care, special, uh, special ideas from uh, or, or policies from government as a result of who I am in my corner of the world. All of these things absolutely matter. Now, ultimately, that's your question. Why does why does it matter? It absolutely matters because the, what we've done is we've ignored it mattering. Right. We've 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 ignored scripture. We've ignored all of the truths that are available to us. And this is what we currently have. The mess we're in is what we currently have. And that's why it matters. Wow. And, you know, we're going to be right back uh, with more of the Just the Truth podcast with my good friends, Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, who have the Just Thinking podcast, the number one Christian podcast in the nation. Definitely subscribe. And we're going to talk more about those two key words, Virgil, that you brought up, standpoint epistemology. I think that's incredibly important for people to understand the true definition. So we'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. 
Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, continuing the conversation on Just the Truth podcast with Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, who are the co-hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. Definitely subscribe. They have a three and a half hour podcast that just dropped. So I know you're listening to this. You are getting the overview of critical race theory, why this matters. And Virgil, right before the break, uh, you had mentioned those two keywords of standpoint epistemology. And I want to highlight that because that is so important for especially Christians, but um, every conservative, every person who cares about this whole culture of, you know, I want to stand for truth that men are biological men and women are biological women. And this is so insane that somehow everybody is foisting this ridiculous notion on reality. Well, this can be explained in this term standpoint epistemology. So uh, really lay out and define for us why, uh, what that term means and why it matters. Well, epistemology is just the science of how, how do we know what we know? How do, how do we know and understand what we know? Where, where, you know, I, I, if, if, I, if, if I know something, how do I know it? How, how do I know truth is true? The idea behind standpoint epistemology is I don't look at, an, I don't look at truth as objective. I, I don't look at truth as coming from, coming from God. I look at truth as, 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 as coming from me. I, I'm the arbiter of all truth. And so today, if if biologically speaking, I'm 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 male, and I wake up tomorrow and feel more feminine, well, that that my, from my standpoint, my point of view, I, the whole world should then operate on the basis of my new framed idea about who I am. I, I've now determined, rather than being a black male, that I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white female, and I walk into a Target and decide that I want to enter. The women's bathroom standpoint epistemology validates that. And the problem with that is we're watching and witnessing that in culture codified into, into, into rules, regulations, standards, uh, and, and even law. And so that, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the problem with, with standpoint epistemology. It, it is, again, postmodernism on steroids. It, it, I mean, it's, it's it basically what it is, Jenna, and, and I know you know this well, I have determined that I am God. I am the God right. of my world. I am the God of my universe, and and nothing is going to de- nothing is going to change that. And the the rest of the world needs to operate on on that basis. Right. And isn't that so crazy when you think the whole idea of uh, you know of of all of the Greek gods and all of these you know fables and their lore and myths and how fickle all of the gods or the Greek gods, right? And it was just on their whim. Well, when we in culture have made ourselves living and breathing Greek gods, basically, we're all demigods walking around saying, you have to be subservient to my dominion and you have to be subservient to uh, perceive the world as I want it to be on a whim. And if you don't, I will strike you with the lightning bolt of a defamation suit or discrimination or, you know, they've now codified this 
this into civil rights that somehow we need to anticipate, I would need to then, Virgil, anticipate that even though right now you're identifying as a black male, tomorrow when you wake up and you want to be, you know, the blonde haired, blue eyed female, I should have anticipated that because otherwise your pronouns, that's discriminatory. And so you can see how this is a preconception of of assuming and presuming that the infringement of your civil rights is based on a reality that the so-called aggressor doesn't even recognize. I mean, that's just bizarre in terms of how we apply our law and how we have objective, predictable standards of law. But that's what they want to do. They want to, the leftists, they want to completely dismantle this whole truthful notion of justice, the predictability of law, the idea that uh, our founders laid out with our constitution, that you have to have proper notice of an offense, right? If I just somehow perceive someone as being a biological male and I call them him, somehow now that becomes an act of aggression and hate speech that I can be punished for when I had absolutely no notice of maybe, you know, he put up his pronouns, right? So this is where we're getting to culture that we are criminalizing everything and making everything hate. And this is where um, in, in, the practical reality, reality, um, Daryl, how do we function as a civil society when we're all looking at each other now as not only biological weapons under the pandemic, right? And, you know, you not wearing a face mask is, you know, is terrible, but also um, we're looking at each other as basically perpetrators of hate based on our own perception of reality. How does that even work? Let me answer that question, Jennifer, going, going back to something that uh, Virgil was saying about standpoint epistemology. Standpoint epistemology is a fundamental tactic of critical race theorists. And the way they leverage standpoint epistemology is by what, what we call storytelling. It's what they call storytelling and, and narrative. So, so, for instance, I can share a story with you about perhaps a, an, a, an issue a, or an instance, rather, of what I thought was racial discrimination, and I put the word racial in air quotes, but I can share that story with you, right? That's that's a narrative. That's something that happened to me by experience. But what critical race theorists do is mm-hmm. that they'll leverage stories and narratives like that. It may be true what happened to you, but they'll what they'll do is use my experience, my individual experience, and impart the offense, the offender uh, label onto you. Simply because the person who offended me looked like you. So when you when you have a society and you have a government like we have right now with the Biden-Harris administration, and I was just reading an article earlier today where uh, uh, Christians really need to keep an eye on how Biden is staffing his Department of Justice. His Department of Justice right now is being staffed with a bunch of woke, critical race theorists, social justicians who are going to be adjudicating law by ethnicity. No, 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 nothing objectively true about the law matters anymore. It, the, what's going to matter to this Justice Department is narrative, is the story, is the experience. And then we're going to adjudicate the law and render this and push for uh, legal decisions and outcomes of those decisions based on what ethnicity was the victim, what ethnicity was the offender. And so you're, you're, you're tossing objective truth out the window. But I'm just reading here in Jude chapter one, where Jude writes that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, we know 
that this earth is not our home. So I'm not speaking that in eschatological sense, okay? But we are to be uh, uh, in, in, be able to intelligently defend our faith and then defend, intelligently defend that faith against what the world comes at it with. And one of these instances is, is with, with critical race theory. When you get to a point to where Dr. Seuss is being canceled, Pepe Le Pew is even being canceled. I mean, we're talking about animated characters who are not even real. They're not even real. So when you when you see a society coming after uh, in, uh, a fictional uh, uh, entities like cartoon characters, what makes you think that they're not going to come after you with that same force? Uh, so so we have to understand that what what critical race theory is purporting to do is to use narrative. They're trying to use storytelling to uh, to make a case that. This whole world is racist. That 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 you that you Jenna, you wake up in the morning with ill intent towards me. Okay, so we we have to we have we <laughs> right. have to recognize the point epistemology when we see it. We have Virgil gave a great definition of it, and we have to be able to recognize that for what it is, and be equipped through the Word of God to defend uh, our worldview against that. Yeah, and and as you were talking, Daryl, it reminded me uh, because you know we we've done this very incrementally in our culture. You know, this didn't just happen overnight. It's not like critical race theory just popped up and somebody suddenly decided this was a good idea. This has been embedded in uh, slowly into the counterculture narrative, and by you know the secular humanists, the Marxists. Um, you know, this this goes all the way back to you know Saul Alinsky's uh, book and how you know all of this is a way to deconstruct uh, culture. And it reminded me, though, of um, of a case because, you know, you're talking about the cartoons and how they're going to perpetuate this. I mean, this is already happening. And it reminded me of um, the Oregon case um, against the local cake shop. And I wrote this piece and I pulled this up here on The Federalist. You can go back and read this. Uh, the headline is Oregon Court Holds Bakers Responsible for How People Feel about what they say. And this is really amazing that, I mean, this was in 2018, the Supreme Court decision. So, you know, we're already three years ago, right? And what I wrote here is what's most alarming about the Oregon court's opinion is the rejection of the baker's argument that their custom custom designs rise to the level of artistic expression that is a clear message intended by the author. Rather, the court irrationally held that it's the burden of the speaker to show that his or her message is perceived correctly by others. This is this whole standpoint epistemology thing that already is being embedded in our Supreme Court opinions. So here's what the opinion said, quote, although we accept the Kleins, these are the bakers, imbue each wedding cake with their own aesthetic choices. They have made no showing that other people will necessarily experience any wedding cake that the clients create predominantly as expression rather than food. Close quote. So what you're talking about reminded me of this because this is already an example from three years ago in our court decisions, you know, right, Virgil? I mean, so how how are we right. now supposed to combat this and recognize yeah. it for what it is? Absolutely. I mean, it, it. I'm still stuck on the fact that what we're talking about are cartoon characters. <laughs> I'm still. I, I can't. I, I. I can't get past the fact that that we that we live in in such in my in my estimation such a post racial culture 
that people, in order to express a, a grievance, have got to find outrage in cartoon characters. So they're, 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 there's no other space that they're really experiencing any direct form of racism that they can put on display so that we can all gather around each other and fight against it. But what they've got to do is they got to go back into history. Daryl spoke about it, the, the, the idea of creating this, creating this, 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 this storyline, this, this narrative, this, this anecdotal uh, situation, and then paint the rest of culture with that, mm -hmm. you know, with that lens, as if everyone, as if everyone did the harm to that one individual, so that we could. And, and here's the other piece, and you kind of you spoke to this earlier. What's happened you, when you talked about the fact that that this didn't happen overnight, that this this wasn't this wasn't a, a situation where yesterday we woke up and, and this happened. What's what's taken place as a as a part of, of this this slow progression is is white guilt has been baked into our educational system to such a degree that it's actually the fuel that allows CRT to be a reality. CRT on its face is impotent apart from a society that has been so uh, steeped in white guilt that they feel obligated in some way or shape or form to make amends for something that they, that they had no direct result in creating. Hmm. That, that's what's actually happening. I mean, that's what yeah. allows the, the, the situations, whether it's education, whether it's government, whether it's the legal system, to throw out what's been tried and true with regard to standards of justice and injustice, to now recreate and redesign a whole new framework simply on the basis of one's ethnicity and a storyline that they've brought forward. This is absolute insanity. And I, I hate to hate to get so, you know, with, with such volume, I, I usually <laughs> save this for the Just Thinking podcast. And, uh, and this is a special episode of Just yeah, Thinking here on Just Truth, I, so that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I ju it's just, it's, unbe it's, it's unbelievable to me what is taking place. It's absolutely unbelievable. And it should be, all of us should be outraged by it. Furthermore, we, we, have, to, we have to be equipped. I know, Daryl, you want to jump in. I, I, we, we have to be equipped to, to address this. Daryl, what do you want to add, buddy? Yeah, I'm just going to say, man, when you mentioned the word grievance, I just want to say grievance is the new currency. OK, everybody's talking about Bitcoin. Now, grievance is the new currency. Grievance pays. Grievance pays. And what I find ironic here, Jenna, is that just to pull a, a, a political spin on this for a second. When you look at uh, critical race theorists, uh, liberation theologians out here, uh, especially with respect to how uh, to the degree that they supported uh, uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, uh, the irony here is that they are looking to the same Democratic Party, OK, that is to blame for the inequities that they say they want to right. OK, slavery was, was right. uh, wholeheartedly uh, 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 propagated by uh, Southern white Democrats. Jim Crow, Southern white Democrats, the peonage system, Southern white Democrats. The Black Codes, Southern White Democrats, redlining, Southern White Democrats. The reason we needed, okay, the reason Black people needed an Emancipation Proclamation, a 13th Amendment, a 14th Amendment, a 15th Amendment, a, a Voting Rights Act, and a Civil Rights Act is because Democrats wouldn't abide by the law. 
Now you look at you look at what it ta- what is taking <laughs> you look at what is taking black people in America more than 100 years to obtain and you look at the LGBT lo- LGBTQ lobby they got what they wanted especially in terms of marriage equality in less than a decade and then here you have critical race theorists looking to the same democrat party that was the cause of these uh, ethnic inequities and inequalities to begin with okay yet they want to blame trump they want to blame uh, Republicans, and again, I'm not. This is not a political argument. This is a historical fact. This is a historical fact. Okay, so so Virgil, you're you're dead on when you talk about a grievance culture. It's become a grievance culture for two reasons. Number one, grievance pays, grievance rewards. Now you have the Biden administration looking into reparations, looking into can, and that's really what this has all been about. The ultimate goal is to get paid. That is the ultimate goal here. That was the goal with Black Lives Matters. They're getting paid and in the in the in in, in uh, uh, to the degree of hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, critical race theorists are getting paid. Uh, 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 so so the, the ultimate goal is to get paid here. So that's what I mean when I say grievance pays. Grievance gets people's attention today. And if you grieve loud enough and long enough and hard enough, you will get what you want. Well, and and you know what I also find fascinating about that is that it's also not limited to the left in terms of grievance being currency. And Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that in, unfortunately, even so-called conservative circles and also the church. If you are canceled, everybody's against cancel culture on the right, but now if you can get canceled, then somehow that then becomes a grievance that provides the currency to either elevate your platform, mm-hmm. elevate you know your monetization. Um, so for example, I was at CPAC the other week and um, there were a number of people there who wanted to say, oh, well, you know, I, I was canceled. I was kicked out for this and this reason. And they wanted to make it into a cancel culture narrative where I was there. I mean, and you know, do I like the mask mandates? Absolutely not. We can have a whole other conversation about the unconstitutionality of all of that. But at the same time, because that was the choice of the venue and the Hyatt, I understood as a private organization, if I wanted to go and participate in this, it was my call, it was a voluntary participation, then I would have to abide by their rules, just like I had to wear shoes, just, you know, then I also had to wear a mask, right? So I'm not going to on purpose go against that and then say, here's my grievance. I'm canceled. Isn't this terrible? Get the viral memes going because that was such a predictable outcome. But this type of grievance is currency. We on the right, and especially conservatives, especially Christians in the church, we can't harness this type of grievance culture and this type of victimization as an identity and as a commodity because it has infiltrated the church and it is absolutely even more than that infiltrated the right. And we are now using tactics that we're seeing on the left to our advantage because we're seeing that work for them. We need to stand up and say, hold on a second. If we're calling this out, we can't participate in it. So what do you, um, Virgil, what do you see as the worst offense here, I guess, in the church, not standing up for truth of critical race theory and, and some of this grievances, currencies, nonsense. Oh, I, I love what you said there. I love what you did there, because what it does is that we, you, you, we, we hold to a biblical worldview. And, and what we understand and know uh, is, is that the, the word of God is a, is a double-edged sword, right? It, it, it cuts both ways. And so if, if, we see, if we see it in one direction, 
we can address it in the other. And, and we, don't, we don't run away from that. We, we're going to hold everyone to account for that because the standard is true. It's not a, it's not a double standard. It's not a, this is not what about is, well, we didn't get this. And so what about, or what about, we don't, we don't, we don't engage in those kind of tactics here. What we're engaged in is a standard of truth that at the end of the day gives God honor and glory. Uh, and, and as image bearers, we have a responsibility to operate from, from that, from that kind of a position. So I, I, I totally appreciate what, what you shared and said. One of the one of the things that right now that that I'm I'm admiring is the is the pastor uh, James Coates uh, out of Canada uh, yeah. who who's made that decision that he was going to continue having his 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 church open and do what it is that you know that he did in in the way of worship and 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 th- it, this is beyond a, a meme uh, about you or a, or something on social media that that causes you to get attention and that that helps you to to, uh, to, to be elevated in some way, shape, or form. What, what he is d- dealing with and struggling with is, is the idea of whether or not his, what he claims to hold as near and dear as truth is actually a true conviction. Uh, mm-hmm. whether, whether or not what he, what he, what he says is, is what he means by what he says, what he says is, is what he's gonna hold to. At the point at which you're in jail, uh, this, is, this is no longer about cancel culture. This is, this is about, I'm standing for this truth I hold this truth to be dear, and I'm willing to pay the price, regardless of what that is. This is not for for uh, for, for for likes on a meme. This is not for uh, for for more followers on my social media platform. He he is dealing with a situation that 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 really is about the, the standard of truth that he holds to. And so mm-hmm. I I again appreciate what you said. It's about integrity. Mm-hmm. It's about having a standard. It's it's not about just trying to trying to be about something to make a claim for the purpose of popularity. This is about having a stand on the truth of the word of God because you believe it to be so. Yeah, and isn't that a great metric to look at sincerely held uh, religious beliefs or sincerely held faith-based beliefs and true genuine convictions, if it's costing you something right. instead of being monetized, that's right. a great differentiation mm-hmm. because, and not to say that, you know, monetizing things, we all need to make a living. That's, you know, that's totally perfectly fine. Yay. Capitalism. We'll just put that out there. But when you're using a claim of being victimized or having a grievance, there should be an actual harm Um, When you go back and you actually look at the legal claim for standing, you have to have one of those elements is an injury in fact. You have to have actually lost something and say, here is my grievance, not just want to turn it around and say, I'm profiting from my grievance. The entire point of equity in the law is to say that we have to make sure that we are made whole again. And that implies by its very definition that there was a brokenness and there was a breach and there was a harm and there was a loss, that there was something that occurred. And so for these people who are saying, I'm so offended by a cartoon that harmed me because of you know implicit racism in Dr. Seuss. Well, what is your articulable actual harm. And and like you said before, Virgil, they can't articulate it. They, and so it has to become this collective. And then they are using that to amplify this very, very false narrative. So yeah, I was just going to say, when you're talking about being able to prove actual harm, there's a, mm-hmm. a great biblical example of that in First Kings chapter three, with the story of where uh, King Saul has to adjudicate between the two women who both were arguing that the, the baby was theirs. Uh, one woman, one mother was saying, well, yeah, I've been harmed because uh, 
this, this woman's baby died uh, and she took my baby. So but, but what Saul had to do was really prove whose child it was, who, who, who actually was harmed here. So, so he had to adjudicate that out. And that's a great example. I think that's a great biblical example of the difference between mm-hmm. equity and equality. See, equity seeks yeah. truth first. Equity seeks truth. And this is what Solomon did in 1 Kings 3. Solomon was trying to get to the truth. You get to the truth first, and then the truth should determine the outcome. Now, that doesn't guarantee you're going to always get the outcome you want. Okay, because in that situation there, even though Solomon adjudicated truthfully, one of those ladies still went home without a baby. Okay, so this doesn't, truth, truth, uh, judging with equity doesn't mean you're going to always get equality. See, equality would have been Solomon cutting the baby in half, as he threatened to do, and giving each one of them half a dead baby. See, that's equality. But what what, 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 what believers in Christ should want, we should want equity without regard to equality. Without regard to outcome, God's standard is equity, is truth, okay? And you leave the outcomes to him. But we, the society today has totally redefined. They've co-mingled the terms and they use equity and equality interchangeably. And they, they, they usually defer uh, to the equality side whereby they're saying, well, equality and justice is when we get a desired outcome. When we get a desired outcome, this is what happened with the Trayvon Martin situation. This is what people want with George Floyd. They'll say, well, if the jury uh, convicts, then that's justice. If they acquit, that's injustice. That's how the society defines it. But see, in the Trayvon Martin situation, people say, well, that even even um, who was the version that recently came out? I think it was Mark Dever uh, came out on the anniversary of uh, Trayvon Martin's killing. Uh, saying, well, you know, we should still seek justice. Well, justice was done, Mr. Dever. Now, because you didn't get the outcome you were, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. there was injustice. And well, I was just going to say, for those wondering, um, Mark Dever is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist um, in D.C. And, you know, there are some some theological differences, um, definitely. But to your point uh, with that, our system of justice and the entire point of proving a claim is that when you get your day in court and you are heard on the merits and there is a judicial rendering, that by definition is justice. And that is some, and of course, we need to look for the, the truthful outcome. But it's not to say that we can just go back and continue questioning and relitigating everything until we get to the outcome we prefer. And in a perfect system, which is why we have the appellate system and all that, is to get to the correct truthful outcome. But we have a Supreme Court or a court of last resort, which is to say that there has to be a final outcome. And that's what the leftists don't see in law and what they don't want, because they just want to relitigate everything until it lands finally on the outcome they prefer. And that's totally antithetical against the notions of even just practical things like judicial economy, but also this idea of fairness, of due process and of genuine justice. And go ahead, Daryl. That's exactly what the critical race theorists do. We pointed this out in our episode on critical race theory. What critical race theorists do is they'll go back and resurrect. They'll go back and resurrect historical jurisprudence, and they they, they they apply this sort of Swiss cheese technique. They'll, they'll take their subjective definition mm-hmm. of what justice and equality is, and then they'll try to poke holes in it. 
and then they'll get these subjective holes and then they'll bring it back. So they'll say, like we pointed out in an episode, they will go back and look out, look at cases that were adjudicated decades ago on the presumption that even, even, when, even in situations like Brown versus Board of Education, that's one example, where the, the outcome was in their favor. It was in the favor of the minority. But they'll still come back and say, well, even then, there was a uh, there was th- that the the uh, that decision was not uh, reached in a neutral a, a, a racially neutral way, so we need to revisit that and 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 so that they can add even more benefits to it to the discrimination of other people. So that's not justice, but that's what critical race theorists do. They resurrect and re-prosecute. They resurrect and re-prosecute. I don't know if you've seen that movie Cool Hand Luke, but there's a scene in there where they punish him by making him dig a hole and then refill the hole. Dig, dig the hole out and refill the hole. That's what critical race theory does. They, you, you, you'd never know if you should empty the hole or fill it back up. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's so remarkably stupid. I, I can't even think of a harsh enough term for it about all of this is that when we resurrect and relitigate all of this according to today's standards and today's metric, then that's why, you know, they're resurrecting old tweets and saying, hey, look, 10 years ago, you had this harmful offense based on 2021 standards. And so if I'm a leftist, I've got to be thinking, I can't say anything. I can't hold any opinion because the standard is so fluid that even by today's 2021 standards, perfectly fine. But in 10 years, they're going to resurrect tweets from today and claim they're racist, claim they're, you know, somehow they're offensive or they're discriminatory in some fashion. So we never get to an outcome that's final. And yeah, what's win. the purpose? And yeah, you know, you're sitting there just waiting to jump in. So, I mean, what's, what is ultimately the goal of all this? Yeah. The, the, the goal is power. Uh, the goal is, is the, the whole purpose of that is to create instability. It, it's to create a situation where you never feel like you're on firm foundation. Uh, Greg Kokel is, is, is an apologist, and one of the one of the things that he often is cited uh, to say is is, is uh, I think he wrote a book talk about talking about how a lot of what you deal with in postmodernism is is about the equivalent of having your feet firmly planted in midair, right? Mm-hmm. You, you you never you never feel like you're on a foundation what at, at all because there is no foundation. Uh, the foundation is ever moving, it's ever flowing, mm-hmm. and it's based upon the whim of the critical theorist who wakes up in the morning. Uh, and mm-hmm. decide something that no one considered uh, was problematic uh, or racist in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. now has been found to be racist. I mean, again, I, I still go back to what I said. Th- these are first world problems. Uh, only, only in a culture, in a society like ours, where, where racism is so minuscule, so minuscule, that those who claim that it's ever present can open their mouths to articulate that without any fear of retribution. Right. If, 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 they, if they really felt that society was structured in such a racist way, I mean, worse than the days of Jim Crow, worse than the days of Black Coast, worse than the days, worse than the days of, of, of actual slavery, they wouldn't open their mouths to make half of the claims that they do right. on a day-to-day basis. But they feel confident in doing so right. because at the at the core of the issues, they recognize and realize and understand that there's really nothing that's going to happen to them as a result of their claim, that there's actually no great harm. that there's no harm. There's actually great benefit in making the claim because they can act as if they understand something that others don't. It, it, it's it's what it's what uh, Vody Bauckham 
coins ethnic Gnosticism. It's the idea that I've got secret knowledge because I woke up with an with extra level of melanin in my skin that you don't have because you didn't. And and, and it's the absolute uh, it's absolute absurdity. I, I loved I loved the. Uh, the, the, the legal language you used when you said it's actually stupid. I think that was some great legal, <laughs> yes. legal language. That's, that that is a, that is a term of course that they teach in, in law school or, you know, that, uh, but that should have an objective standard, right? I mean, that, that's something that when I went to law school and seeing how they actually teach law is so arbitrary anymore. I mean, this is something now when we're talking about laying the foundation for all of this and laying the groundwork and laying the tracks for the critical race theory train to just, you know, wreak havoc uh, the thing that they've done in law schools is dismantling this idea that law should be uh, fixed, that it has principles that are clearly defined, that we have um, a mission-oriented standard of justice, and that all of the law is actually in furtherance of what? Of actually preserving and protecting our God-given rights, creating a more perfect union. And we all understand and agree, as our founders did unanimously on that worldview statement, that truth is self-evident. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator, not their government with certain unalienable rights. And so the sole purpose of government and then the justice system and every other action the government takes has to be in furtherance of that unanimously recognized, not just created, this isn't a social construct, but a unanimous recognition of truth. And, you know, Virgil, another thing you said about, um, you know, this whole idea of I can wake up one day and it's this whim, you know, I can even see in, in teaching our young people through entertainment, through um, how we as the church um, define relationships and love and all this is just this ushy gushy feeling. We're seeing this even perpetuated in culture with things like, oh, finding my joy and how are you li living my best life and all of these terminologies that we're harnessing through TED Talks and through, you know, memes on Instagram that are motivational speeches that really it's teaching us this undercurrent uh, value premise that's saying the only valuation of your life is how you feel, not objective truth. And that's where we as the church and as conservatives, conserving that truth, that biblical truth, we have to go back to like what our founders did and recognize that truth is not subjective. Truth is self-evident. And it's not based on your and my feelings. Feelings just evidence what we're thinking. If I'm mad about something and I feel angry or I feel disappointed, you know, if I feel angry, then I'm saying, okay, I'm that's what I'm thinking about this issue. If I feel disappointed, well, then that evidences and reveals that I had an expectation. That doesn't mean it's right. It just reveals what I'm thinking. Then I can go back and analyze and say, okay, if I was disappointed, what was my expectation? Was that expectation proper? Was it right? Was it correct? Did I communicate that to the other person? Was it something that was a reasonable expectation? I mean, these are all things that are actually objective, but we have put such a high premium and valuation on our feelings today that in culture, that even the church now is using this whole idea of motivation of how you feel, find your joy, find happiness, you know, Jesus is love. That's all that they, that they have. And it's such a false definition. And so we're going to take one, uh, one last break here and we're going to come back. And I want to ask Daryl this question of, you know, where do we go from here? Because you know that on Just the Truth, we are not going to just talk about the problems. We're also going to talk about solutions and moving forward. So we'll be right back on Just the Truth. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're having a conversation on Just the Truth podcast with Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, the co-hosts of the amazing Just Thinking podcast. I love this podcast. I love my two friends. Uh, this has been such an important conversation. And as we're moving forward, um, Daryl, you know, I was talking just before the break about this um, idea of the church is actually teaching now this false theory. So where, what is your word, I guess, to the pastors who might be listening, to the people who um, have found an incredible disappointment in the church like me? Because my expectation is that pastors would be faithful to the word of God. So I think that's a reasonable expectation. I think it's reasonable to be disappointed in my feeling, yeah. right? But what is your word to the church? Yeah, uh, I guess my word to the church is going to be part critical and then part exhorting. I hope it is anyway. Um, I would say to pastors, you know, remind yourself that this world is not your home. I think the one one problem the church has today is the church is trying to be everything to everybody. The, ch the church is not a big tent. Mm -hmm. The gospel draws a line. Okay, when you, when you profess to be a Christian, you're telling the rest of the world, well, there, there's, a, there's a boundary here. There, 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 there's, there's a boundary here in, in terms of my ethics, my morals, uh, in terms of my entire worldview. That, 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 and that boundary says, this is truth and this is not. Okay, so I think pastors need to be reminded that, re remind yourself, why do you, not, not only why do you preach the gospel, why do you believe the gospel? Why do you profess to believe the gospel to begin with? That's what we have to go back. We have to go back to the beginning and remind ourselves what the apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, that for believers, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We should not expect, we should not expect sinners to always adjudicate situations faithfully, okay? That's not what sinners do. Sinners sin. Sinners have prejudice, prejudices. Sinners have biases. Even we who are Christians are not immune to that, okay? But for the church, for pastors especially, remind your congregants of what the gospel is. Why is the gospel significant? The gospel is truth, and it is the only message that regenerates sinful hearts so that we recognize one another as image bearers of God, a God not as hyphenated individuals, not as individuals who, whose names are preceded by their skin color. We recognize one another as being equal image bearers of God, and then knowing that, okay, knowing that, that we, even though we bear God's image, 
that we each bear that sin nature within us that only the gospel can cure. The gospel is the only cure for the ills mm. that uh, that have, 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 since Genesis 3, so devastated this world. I mean, the Apostle Paul talks in, in Romans 8. He says that this all of creation suffers from the effects of sin. Okay, so no sociological, no philosophical, no, uh, no worldly remedy, no matter how hard you try, is going to remedy the malady of a sinful heart. And that's not, that's not going to happen. So I would just say to the church and to pastors, be faithful to preach the gospel, as Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Remember why you're in that pulpit to begin with. Yes, and amen to all of that, because if you look at some of the pastors today who are, um, like I think of Rick Warren, right? And I'm going to just call him out by name. It was so ridiculous that he's now having these segregated uh, messages and, and segregated uh, congregational, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the wrong word, but um, all, all of these services, um, these segregated services that he's teaching and, and these pastors who are actually holding up white fragility as, as something that needs to be taught in church, you will never, ever, ever get to the truth apart from the Bible and the Word of God. And what they're doing is they're, they are missing that the Bible is what contains truth and the answers to the problems like, Daryl, what you just said, and that we will never get to true equality by any other mechanism or any other philosophy or any other solution than Imago Dei and recognizing that each human being is made in the image of God. And when we take that gospel truth and we recognize who we are as human beings made in the image of God, who God is, and, and that he wants a personal relationship with us, and the gospel is all about restoring that relationship and believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He came physically in the form of a human. He He died on the cross as the propitiation, the the ultimate sacrifice yeah. for our sin. And through believing that He is Lord and that He raised again from the grave, and that we can have that personal relationship, that is the only way that we can ever get to true equality. And we can't ever do it by the world standards. And why are these pastors preaching a false gospel from their pulpits? Why are they saying that white fragility is the answer, that critical race theory is the answer, that humanitarianism is the answer, that all of these other things are somehow the answer? They are forgetting the word of God. They're no longer pastors. They're no longer pastors. Because what you've done is you've pointed out when, when, when pastors treat the gospel as humanism, moralism, just some sort of ethical set of, you know, do-gooder type uh, guides to follow. That reduces Jesus. It just strips him of his deity Mm -hmm. because all all that does is make Jesus another do-gooder, another good teacher, another guy who was trying to, you know, bring us all together, you know, the kumbaya uh, kind of Jesus. But but you're, you're absolutely right. And, 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 and what pastors have to do, uh, you know, you look at, I think it's in Revelation chapter 21, where when, uh, when, when we see a list of uh, uh, sinful behaviors and characteristics that, that God is going to cast into the lake of fire, the first characteristic that's listed there is cowardice. Mm-hmm. 
is cowards. Okay, so we 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 mm. we need pastors who are courageous, brave, and bold, who don't care about their platform, who don't care about the logo, who don't care about that they have a blue check mark yeah. on social media, who care more about souls. Uh, uh, and 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 Jen, I got I have to credit you. Just gave an, an amazing presentation of the gospel. I really don't know why you needed us on your show because you pretty much killed it right there. Uh, you did an amazing <laughs> job. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you said. You absolutely killed it. Oh. Well, well, thank you. I mean, because that that is the truth. And that is why we have these conversations, because if we don't get to the truth that we have to bring this back to salvation mm-hmm. as the premise, then we're never going to resolve real problems, much less perceived problems. Right. So as you were talking, um, Daryl, it reminded me, too, you know, that whenever when this whole um, Coca-Cola be less white thing came out and I went through and I just pulled this up, um, the list that they defined, you know, and we're all, we're all laughing here. Um, by the way, I wish everybody listening could see this, but you know, we're all laughing and it says, you know, to be less white is to, and this is their list, be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less ignorant, be more humble, listen, believe, break with apathy, break with white solidarity. Well, other than this last one, right? Those are all good things that we should strive for right? But they give you no standard by which you can actually implement those things. And the only way we get to being less arrogant, being less defensive, more humble, uh, believing in the true, correct things, we can all have beliefs, but are we believing true things? The only way we get there is to believe in the truth, which is, of course, the gospel that God presents in the Bible, which is the special revelation. And that is the complete truth of the reality to which we all do experience. And, um, and so, so Virgil weigh in now. You're going I, want, I, I wanted to add a couple things to what uh, you were saying, for, uh, going back to a comment that you made about, about the Rick Warren piece and the segregated congregations. We, we, we fought for integration and now you have a pastor implementing segregation, right? For, for, for what purpose, I have absolutely no idea other, other than to, to placate feelings uh, and, to, and, to, and truth be told, to patronize a people group. I mean, it's absolutely patronizing for you to act as if uh, you need to pat me on the head to some degree that I need to be, I need to be so coddled and placed in a corner uh, for someone to speak to me gently as if I'm a child rather than honestly with a with a with a with a with the full breadth and depth of the of the people that are that are part of the church it's absolutely ridiculous the other thing that 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 you were where as you were mentioning the coca-cola thing i remember the the uh episode that daryl and i did with and you probably remember this jenna back uh maybe a few months ago when the national museum of african-american uh, history and culture had that infographic. Do you remember the infographic? <laughs> yeah. And, and and one of the things that they had on the infographic that was that was that was white was being on time. Uh, was was logic? Was was reason? <laughs> I mean, work. some some of the it was uh, yeah hard work was white, and so you had to be less of that. This is just a new iteration of that kind of ridiculousness that we're that we're actually seeing in the culture. Um, one of the things that that Daryl mentioned was was uh, was your presentation of of the gospel. I have to echo what he said. That's at the end of the day, that's where we land because that's what God Himself gives us through the finished work of Christ, 
uh, mm-hmm. and the sacrifice of his son. His son returns and, and says that, that and, and really tells everyone, this is all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to obey all the commands that, that, that I've given you. We have a responsibility to, to walk that out. And pastors have abdicated that responsibility. We've watched a number of them abdicate that responsibility, believing that the next great thing that's going to happen is, is the culture. It's as if you graduate from Jesus. Now, now that you got Jesus, now that you got the gospel, I'm going to graduate. Now I'm going to go grab some <laughs> cultural idea uh, and, and then begin implementing that back into the church uh, for, for the purpose of seeing things move yeah, forward. I'm going to graduate to James Cone. Right, right. No, nothing, right. nothing could be, nothing could be further from the truth. I, 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 one of the, you started this segment by saying, where do, where do we go from here? Let me land on this, and then, and then turn it back to you. I, I think one, I, one of the reasons why it, it was so great to kind of follow uh, what you were doing as you were part of of the of the administration of the Trump administration. One of the things I loved was how honest you were about your faith. And, and, and that was what kind of drew me to kind of following what you were doing. Um, I think the rest of culture are looking for people like yourself. I think that's one of the, one of the things that's, that's caused just thinking to be popular. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are pouring into the doors of, of, a, of a church like John MacArthur's. I think that's the reason why people are looking for ministries that are willing to, to defy the odds, to have courage and tell the truth. And so I, I think what it's mm-hmm. gonna take moving forward are, are more platforms like yours that are sharing the truth, that are unashamed of their Christian conviction, uh, that are willing to walk out how culture, how, how Christ comes into conflict with, with the culture, how we bring the gospel into conflict with the culture uh, in, in an effort not to, not to go along to get along, but to overcome. Uh, and ultimately that happens at the very foot of the cross. And that only takes place through the proclamation of the gospel. Amen to that. And I love how you wrapped that up um, because the solution to everything is not just policies. It's not just electing the right people. It's not doing more good. It's this, the only solution is the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ, period. And so when we are uh, looking for solutions in politics, when we're looking at um, how do we analyze issues like critical race theory? When we're looking at the problems that that all of us see for election integrity, for you know any of these things, um, and even if, even if you know you're somebody who's listening and you you think that there is this problem with racism and culture, well, the answer to that is not going to be critical race theory. It's not going to be solutions provided by men's collective judgment. The answer and the solution at the end of the day to everything is to be more like Christ, and we have to first re renew our minds by making sure that we are harnessing truth, we are recognizing truth, and that we are accepting the truth of the gospel of the word of God. And when Jesus is Lord of our life, when we enter into a relationship with God and we recognize our identity is in Christ, we are all human beings made in the image of God, that's the only way we can build that more perfect union and we can get to true equality of of our position in front of God is that we are all human beings made in his image. That is the only way that we get to equality. And so when we're looking for solutions, solutions are only through the gospel of Christ. And that's why when we're talking about uh, the Great Commission, and and I love that word authority in there because most people, most churches will just say, go ye therefore, got to start before that. You did that. 
powerful because when Jesus is saying all authority is given to me, that's what we have to recognize as truth, that all authority comes from God and God alone, the God of the Bible. And then we are using his authority only by virtue of that legitimate source of authority, not our own judgment, not our own reality. But that truth and that true authority to then go and fulfill the Great Commission and to teach others this fundamental truth. It's not my truth versus your truth. It is the truth of reality. And then we can build on those solutions. And so if you're listening um, and you've maybe never heard this connection between biblical truth and politics and why Christians have to be invested in policy, uh, why we have to not just look at the top level of this moral majority or, you know, be, uh, I mean, there are so many great areas that we can talk about, whether it's pro-life, it's against critical race theory, it's all these really good, truthful things. We first, though, have to go back to the level of what is truth. We have to accept the gospel truth, and then we can move forward. And if you haven't connected those things, if you're a pastor, if you're somebody listening who's just been interested in politics and you've never heard this, I want to encourage you to reach out to um, to either myself or at just uh, just the truth at americasvoice.news. You can reach out to the Just Thinking podcast, um, Virgil and Daryl. You know, ask us your questions, and I want to give you guys, you know, your um, how people can reach you because if you have never accepted the truth of the gospel, that's where you need to start. And we would love to help you with that. I don't mean to make this like an altar call on the podcast, but at the same time, I know that there are going to be people who have never recognized this truth, who want to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And that is where we have to start. And we want to help you understand that truth because with that will come joy, will come fulfillment, will come recognizing how amazing we all are together in this in this human experience together. And you talk about, you know, being less arrogant, being more humble. That's how you get there is by recognizing that we are only standard. It's not each other like you guys just talked about in the beginning. It's not comparison to each other and outcome. It's about comparing ourselves to the righteousness of God, recognizing we fall so short, but going every day and making sure that we are trying to be, uh, to live our lives more perfected toward the image of Christ. And so with that, uh, Daryl, how do people reach you and uh, what is the message that you want to give people who are interested in knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Yeah, uh, folks can reach us, uh, I guess, most simply by going to our website at justthinking.me. That's one word, justthinking.me. You know, our mission statement is that we apply biblical truth to the social, political, theological and cultural issues in our world. And I just want to encourage I can't do any better than you just did, Jenna, but for, 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 for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, um, just remember eternity is waiting for you on the other side of this life. And Christ is the only way to God, is the only way to God by faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, we are saved, not by works so that no man should boast. Just remember every breath you take that eternity is waiting for you on the other side of this life. Amen. Amen, brother. And, and Virgil. Yeah, I, again, I echo that. And uh, man, I, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to come uh, on on your podcast, on your show. Jenna, I hope it's not the last time because we, we can, I mean, we, we, we did quite a bit of time this, this go around and uh, 
we, we can't so much wait more for to it. Talk about. Yeah, we got a lot more to talk about. So we hope we're looking forward to another opportunity. All right. Thanks so much for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. All right. Thank you both so much. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Just the Truth. And uh, you can follow all of the podcasts and definitely tune in to Just the Truth TV. Uh, live Monday through Friday at the 6 p.m. Eastern hour. And again, if you want to contact us here, it's just the truth at americasvoice.news.